I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. CSS is all about how your website looks. From layout to animation, it has been used to make immersive web experiences. Rachel Andrew, co-founder of Purge and expert on the CSS working group of the World Wide Web Consortium, explains how CSS has evolved since the 90s. We talked about the different types of layouts in CSS and how mobile affected its evolution. We also discussed some of the aspects covered in her latest book, The New CSS Layout. Check it out if you are interested in CSS. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Rachel Andrew, co-founder of The Perch CMS and invited expert to the CSS Working Group of W3C, is joining us today. Rachel, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you. And you have a strong background in CSS. I want to talk about CSS first and its history. First, how would you define CSS? Well, so CSS is how we get things to look the way we want them on the web. As a developer, I've been working with CSS since it became a thing. I actually did develop websites or browsers that didn't have any CSS support. I've been doing this for such a long time. So, so yeah, so CSS is really the language that's used to make things look as we want them. And how have you seen it change through the decades? So, yeah, so CSS is about uh, 20 years old. And, I mean, initially it was just a language for really for styling fonts and things, very, very simple changes to the visual display of websites. And so over time, what is possible to do with just CSS has really changed. So, you know, we could do all kinds of things, you know, right through to animations and so on now, which when I started using this stuff, it would have been impossible to imagine. Do you think we move toward more fancy things and animations because of the technology capabilities so the internet speeds and things like that yeah i think partly and just also people are always wanting to do new things with the web and so typically what will happen is people will try and do this stuff with javascript and you know at one point people were using flash to do this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and i think you know it's a kind of natural progression that the underlying technologies look at what people are trying to do and say, well, can we do this in a better way? And can we do this actually in the browser in a more performant way? Mm-hmm. And that's often what, you know, what we can do with CSS is take stuff that people are already trying to do with other tools and actually make it part of the browser. Let's talk a bit about the CSS specifics. One of the first websites that I worked on from this company, the way they organized their content was through using HTML tables. And then I found out that this used to be a lot in the early days. Can you explain what this consisted of? Yeah, so, well, until we had CSS for any kind of layout, we'd use tables to do layout. And essentially, that was a case of taking a design, usually in an image format. You know, someone would send you a design in Photoshop or what have you. And then we'd essentially just chop it up into little pieces. And then we'd create a structure of nested HTML tables and stick all the little pieces into the cells including huge numbers of essentially transparent GIFs used for just making, we always call them a spacer GIF, you know, just making, holding these table cells open mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to create the layout that we wanted. And, and pretty much what we were doing was trying to take a print design and turn it into a website with some live text. 
that was pretty much how people built things uh, until CSS came along. And we were attempting to use layout, sort of CSS layout. In well, I guess I, I mean I've been building things since sort of two thousand, two thousand and one, something like that. But using fairly crude methods, you know, floats and absolute positioning and so on, which Typically, what really happened at that point is web design became an awful lot simpler looking because we stopped trying to recreate print things and just use the technologies that we had to do layout, which meant we had to go simpler because otherwise it wouldn't work. And essentially, the table was a bit of a hack, right? Because you're basically trying to make this invisible grid Mm -hmm. because the table gives you the little squares and things like that, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So one thing I'm wondering is we started with those HTML tables And then I saw CSS has a display property table. How is this different than just doing tables purely in HTML? Well, if you're using display table, what you're doing is you're using the methods that are in CSS, the properties and values that are in CSS to display tables. So to actually make a table look like a table is if you're using a table for typing the data. So you're trying to build so it looks like a spreadsheet. You would use a table for that because that's what that content is. And if you want to style it with CSS, then the properties that the browser is using and the properties that you can use to change how it looks are part of the table specification. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't actually have to use that CSS on an HTML table. You can use it on something else. And so you can have a div and say display table cell and it will start behaving in the same way the table cell does. And there's, there's various fix-ups happen on, on the documentary to just sort of have the extra wrappers sort of virtually um, as anonymous boxes that you'd have in a table. So you can use those properties as if you were in a table. And what that gives you, the key thing that gives you, is it gives you vertical alignment, which you have in tables with things that are display inline block and things that are display table cell. You can use vertical alignment, which is why that's become quite a, a sort of a useful thing to do in a, a transitionary kind of period between you know, doing CSS layout with floats and so on and what we've now got with things like Flexbox and Grid. Yes, and I want to talk about those two things also because as we've been mentioning, we have the display property for table in CSS. Then there's also the grid layout. But initially, we also talked about how the early days HTML table was being used as a grid. So how is the CSS grid layout different now? What evolved in this? So since, uh, since well, I guess in the sort of last few years, so in sort of five or six years, there have been uh, a couple of new specifications I've worked through, and, th- and those are Flexbox and Grid, and they're kind of two sides of, of one thing. Uh, Flexbox is designed for what we call one-dimensional layout, which is if you want to lay things out as a row or as a column. Mm-hmm. And Grid's been designed for two-dimensional layout, so that's where you want to create something which is laid out in rows and columns, much like a table is. So you want to be able to control how the, the row and the column light sort of lines up, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want a Grid for. Okay. So we've got these two specs, and really a, a lot of what they're dealing with is things like sort of space distribution and... Being able to make one thing line up against another, which is what's completely missing in all of our other methods, other than sort of using display table in a kind of slightly odd way. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that's really why they've come about, is for us to be able to do those kind of layouts, because a lot of design is laid out upon a grid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people liked doing things with tables, because it gave them that grid they could put their things into. And CSS grid layout gives us that, but it's defined in CSS rather than defined in HTML. Mm-hmm. which means that 
we don't have the accessibility problems of chopping all of our content up and putting it into different table cells. Mm -hmm. We can keep our content in a nice, accessible, structured way and then lay it out with CSS, which makes a lot more sense. And what you said about this, that the benefit is the alignment that we get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both Flexbox and Grid are all about alignment, really. We're, you know, we're looking at giving things inside those containers relationship. So once you say something is display flex or display grid, the direct children then have a relationship to each other. So you can say, well, I, I want all of these things to stretch as tall as the other things in their row. Um, and it's stuff like that that's been really quite difficult to do on the web until we got these things. At the beginning, you said CSS is what you used to indicate how you want your site to look. And there are different ways of writing CSS, and one can even bring concepts from the object-oriented world. When is this used, the object-oriented CSS? Uh, well, that's just really a kind of a methodology. And one of the problems we have with CSS, and there's a lot of people sort of trying out different ways to deal with this, is that it's a kind of a very kind of flat structure you end up with. It's difficult to organize your CSS. And if you're working with CSS with a large team, in fact, actually, with more than one person, it's very easy for your CSS files just to get really messy. Um, there's lots of different ways that you can structure things. There's, uh, you can, you've got to sort of worry about the cascade or you're going to overwrite things. And so the object-oriented CSS idea and you know, the other ways of doing the same sort of thing really came about as, as an attempt, I think, to try and organise how we write CSS. Uh, you know, there are other things like BEM, a lot of people like to use, um, a whole, you know, a whole bunch of things that people have come up with. And I think whether you use, you know, one of those sort of techniques um, that's well known or whether you come up with some sort of sort of style guide for how you write CSS in your own team, I, I don't think that matters too much. But I think typically you are going to need to have some kind of way of doing things because there's just so many different ways you could do stuff. Yes, definitely. And like you said, when you're working with a lot of people, things can really get out of control. Yes. And you might end up using the exclamation point important yes. too much to the point that it doesn't even work anymore because everybody's using it. So one way of keeping everyone in track is through this, using a pattern like object-oriented CSS. Another way that I've seen is with emerging CSS frameworks. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what CSS frameworks are for those that are not familiar with it? Oh, well, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of, of frameworks for writing CSS, and essentially what they are, I mean, we might think about something like, say, Bootstrap or Foundation are popular names that people have probably heard of. Mm -hmm. And these give you a whole bunch of sort of pre-built styles and so on. But I think as much as anything, they give people a structure in which to write CSS and to do do their layout and so on, without needing to come up with that themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes these things get a bit of a bad press because people are like, oh, you know, they're stopping people from being creative around design. That's true. But I think they're also solving a big problem for people because they're giving that structure. Because the alternative is to go and really to write your own kind of internal framework, yes. um, which typically is, is what we do. You know, we work a lot in pattern libraries and things, so we'll essentially create our own internal framework for a site or for an application so that everyone can look and say, oh, yes, if I use this, that will give me this effect. And, and really all we're doing is writing our own custom version of these frameworks. But I think, for, you know, for a lot of people and for a lot of projects, and, you know, we use Foundation for, for a few things here. You know, if you're putting up some documentation or something and you don't want to spend a huge amount of time 
figuring out how it's going to look, then these things can be a really great starting point. Exactly. So I think yeah, people can get a bit sort of bashing these things, but they're very, very useful. They fulfill a, a useful requirement. I think where they become a problem is where people learn a framework rather than learning CSS. And that's so I mean, I'm encountering people who are front-end developers who don't really know any CSS. They know how to use Bootstrap. And that's worrying because Bootstrap won't be around forever, but CSS probably will um, or for a very long time anyway. So the key skill to learn is CSS. If you then sometimes use a framework to write your CSS, well, that's absolutely fine if that works for the project. But, you know, what, what I would say is be careful not to tie all your skills up in, in one particular framework because it's likely that it's going to be outmoded before too long and, and you're going to find that you haven't got the underlying knowledge. That's true. But once they learn CSS, I think the value from working first with a framework, in addition to just getting a full-blown style ready for you, is that you can learn these patterns, maybe, to how to organize CSS? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, I mean, when I've worked with things like Foundation, you know, it's really impressive how well that's been thought through and, and, you know, how it's all documented and so on. You know, they're doing a great job. And yeah, if you then go on to create your own kind of internal libraries, there's an awful lot you can have learned from working with these things. Uh, as I say, you know, my thing is, you know, make sure you know CSS and also don't be restricted by these frameworks to, you know, everything doesn't need to look exactly the same. Uh, you, can, you can get out, out from them and, and start doing something that's a bit more creative sometimes. What are some of the characteristics of inefficient style sheets? Um, the characteristics of inefficient style sheets. I mean, a lot of it comes down to people sort of over-specifying things. So, you know, sort of having great long strings of selectors. And that's something that the object-oriented techniques, you know, really sort of advise against. You, know, you don't have these huge, long, very specific selectors. So if you're doing that, quite likely what's happening is you're writing the same set of CSS rules, but over and over again, because you're being so specific, you can't apply it to anything else. So trying to have, even if you're not going down a strictly object-oriented route, you know, trying to have reusable things in your CSS, you know, you can just use that. Whether you're doing that with SAS and then just compiling that stuff in, or whether you're, you know, having kind of utility classes that you apply to to things to make them look a certain way. Um, I think trying to not to be too specific because if if you're very very specific, you are just going to do a lot of duplication in your style sheets. Um, that's going to make them harder to maintain. And they're also going to end up far bigger than they need to be. And you mentioned SAS, which is one of the preprocessor tools that allows you to write CSS in a language other than CSS, and then it compiles to CSS. So you're mentioning the benefit is that you can easily reuse things. Yeah, it makes it easier. I mean, I, I don't, I use SAS. I don't use it a huge amount. I use it for those bits that I know. I'm going to want to be able to include this certain chunk or I want to be able to you know, set all the colors or all the fonts and I want to be able to easily change those. I tend to use it mostly for that and just to give a bit of organization so that you know, if, if I then want to change right across the site at something, it's easy to do that. Exactly. Um, I, you know, I don't do a huge amount of, you know, of work in SAS. I use it fairly basically, to be honest. Most of the time, I'm just writing CSS. Uh, but it's it very, very useful. If you've got a bunch of stuff you're going to want to keep including in things, it's really handy for that. Yeah, one example where I've seen this use is to set your color palette. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The colors throughout the website, instead of writing the number every time of the color, you can just put it in a variable like 
main color mm -hmm. and then the value and then you can just use that variable throughout your properties yeah and i mean you know css is getting the ability to have variables and custom properties but obviously the browser support doesn't go way back yet so if you need to support older browsers you might want to do that in sas so that you can be sure that it's there for everyone so yeah, it's, it's just a tool i think you don't need to use SAS, but I think if you start sort of using bits of it, you think, oh, yeah, this is quite useful and can help you streamline stuff. And I think can really help with the team working because you can create some kind of constraints around stuff when by using a preprocessor that makes things a bit easier. In what ways can CSS affect the web performance? Uh, well, like anything, you know, I mean, if, if you end up with an awful lot of it, it can affect performance. Um and certainly once you get around to things like animations and so on, where, you know, you're changing what's on the screen, that can obviously affect performance. I mean, anything you use has a, a potential of affecting performance. Um, a lot of the time, CSS is less of a problem than other things you might be using, but it's certainly certainly possible to, to cause problems there. Especially you have to be careful if, if you're developing and you just have a prototype with some data being displayed on the website, but then it turns out... You can have thousands of records as you keep using the website. Yeah, I mean, it's that sort of thing, you know, where you're starting to yeah, to have far more. So particularly once you're dealing with things like animations and so on, I mean, that's where you particularly need to be careful. Um, or, you know, if you're, you're changing things using JavaScript, um, you know, changing the way things lay out, because if you then cause, you know, everything to relay out, that's going to cause a, a nasty jiggly effect. So, yeah, I mean, there's various ways, particularly with layout, where you can where you can end up with performance issues. Of the top of your head, are there a few red flags that you might start looking at if you have a website being affected by CSS, the performance? Like, are there specific things that you can say, oh, put the style in line or, or things like that? I mean, red flags tend to be the big things that with sort of inefficiencies and so on, you know looking for important being spread all the way through the style sheet, um, looking for, you know, very, very specific stuff, um, looking for anything that sort of is changing the layout um, repeatedly or, or could do. I guess it's that sort of stuff I, I would be looking for. I mean, if I'm assessing people's style sheets, you know, usually you can get a good idea just from looking at it with your eyes, how well organised does this look? Um, <laughs> and then and then start from there, really, to uh, to sort of go through and look for the obvious things that, um, I mean, you know, just ins inspecting and, and seeing what's there and, and uh, what looks untidy. Um, you know, th things like you see stuff in, in style sheets that um, where people are essentially trying to cope with browsers that no one uses anymore because, because those style sheets have kind of have existed for so long. And the knowledge that we all have, we all have this knowledge. Uh, anyone who's been doing, you know, web design for a long time has got all this knowledge um, of like, oh, well, you, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And that knowledge comes from browsers that no one uses anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of comes to the past and it's quite easy to sort of stack all this stuff on. One of the things that I'm saying to people who are starting to use Grid is sort of just forget all of that for a minute and just build your layout using Grid and then look at what you need to fix for the browsers that, that you actually care about. Uh, you know, the, typically you see that people doing a lot of like nesting of elements saying, oh, well, you know, I wanted to nest, I'm nesting this because I'll need an extra wrapper in order to do my layout, I'll need this and that. And it's it's quite a nice thing just to think, well, how do I do this layout in a modern way? And then if you do need to add in some extra stuff, well, that's okay, you can do that uh, to support older browsers, but not kind of preempting the fact that you're going to need all this stuff. Because I think, we, you know, we've all learned to, you know, we have all this stuff in our workflow, which we've learned over the years, 
yeah. makes things easier. Um, and we're in we're in a time now where things are really changing, and you know, right across CSS and then right across the web, you know, with everything, that it can be quite a good exercise to say, well, what would I do just to get it to work today, and then check that what you add in to for older things is sensible. What are the oldest browsers that you're still seeing people right now try to support? Uh, pretty much IE9. I mean, we in our product support IE9. So I think that's, and we're further back than most people. I, t I tend to ask this question when I do workshops and talks. I, you know, say, what, which browser are you supporting? Um, IE10, I think, is the usual sort of baseline, unless people know very specifically that they have a lot of people who, you know, certain areas of the world, certain industries are going to have higher numbers of different browsers. Uh, you know, you find in, in the UK where I'm from that the, um, it's sort of the big companies have ended up kind of stuck on some old version of Internet Explorer and aren't moving. You know, in other places it might be education or, you know, it, it's looking, it depends who you're working with. Um, and I think, you know, everyone just needs to look at their own analytics and say, what are people actually using? As we've been talking, CSS is all about how the site looks and the layout and things like that. What is its role in accessibility? Well, a lot of the stuff with regard to CSS and accessibility, one of the things that we see are people doing these kind of CSS-only things. A sort of strange belief that things are more accessible if they don't use JavaScript. And that's actually not true. You can actually make something more accessible, enhance the accessibility often with JavaScript. Um, sort of CSS-only tricks look very cool and are quite clever but quite often are less accessible than their JavaScript alternative um, because, you know, there are ways to make sure, for instance, that people can keyboard navigate around things properly if they're using JavaScript and so on. So I think that's something to be careful, that, you know, it, this isn't a game of how much can I avoid JavaScript uh, to do cool things. I mean, that's fun as an experiment, but if you're actually worrying about accessibility, you should be saying, well, how can I make this the most accessible I can? And if that is using JavaScript, then that's what you should be doing. I think as well with, you know, with CSS, with all the sort of interesting things we've got, the ability to do stuff, particularly with regard to layout, we can now, with Grid, position stuff anywhere we like on that mm -hmm. grid. Um, and that is a visual positioning. You know, so if you've got a sensible document structure that someone can keyboard navigate around, they can tab around, you know, say you've got like a set of cards and they're laid out A, B, C, D, and you can tab between them. Um, with grid, you could essentially jumble up the way they're displayed. So someone starts tabbing and then jumps right down to the bottom of the page and then back up again because the the source has become disconnected from the visual view. Um, so that's a real issue with, particularly with layout methods, is how we deal with that and that we don't get too excited about the fact we can now put anything wherever we like mm -hmm. because it could create a real problem for people using you know, using the site. So that's a potential issue. I think that's it. I think, you know, with with all this stuff we've got, we've got all these new toys and they're actually changing the fact that, you know, rather than just be just having to worry about the, the sort of visual rendering of the page, you know, in the past you might say, well, the only sort of accessibility issue is are you using CSS to make your colour contrast too poor for people to read? Mm -hmm. um, these days, you know, you can actually do an awful lot with CSS and, and some of it perhaps you shouldn't be doing. And you mentioned just now, like, we have a lot of toys now that affect CSS and how we're doing it and the type of people that are accessing it. Since you've been at it since the very early days, how did you see the mobile web 
influence CSS? I think before kind of responsive design became a thing, I think we, we kind of figured we'd sorted it all out. And, uh, you know, we knew how to do these CSS layouts with floats and we were getting quite good at them. We had a whole bunch of tricks that we could do to, like, you know, make it look like we had full height columns. Um, anyone who's doing this, been doing this for a long time, I remember the faux columns technique where we tiled a background image behind one column so it looked like it had it had a full height and, of course, it didn't. And all of this stuff got kind of thrown in the air with responsive design because those things really required a fixed width site. You needed to know that that column was a certain size so you could tile your image behind it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, responsive really kind of kicked off this process which ultimately got us things like Flexbox and Grid because suddenly we couldn't do all these tricks. We couldn't sort of sit back and say, well, you know, we know how to do web design now. You, you fix your site at 960 pixels and then you line things up um, and it's fine. Yeah. It works. We've, we've got the skills. And so I think, you know, the, the sort of mobile really threw everything into the air and said, well, no, no, you can't work like this and you need to find new ways of working. Um, and I think, you know, from that, this ability to have things in CSS, you know, Flexbox Grid, uh, multiple column layout as well, you know, they're all kind of responsive by default. Mm -hmm. They all allow things to, to grow and shrink quite naturally and work out the space. The browser works out what space is available and it distributes it. So these things are really are, you know, are there because we have this situation where we never know, you know, what device someone is using. It will sort of way past, well, you know, it, it's either you know it's going to be this size or this size which is what we used to be in yeah so a lot of the old ways of doing things that you just described weren't really working because when people went to the website on their phone it the layout was all over the place pretty much yeah 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 I mean, it's, it's that's it i mean it, it just didn't really work once you went to having percentage-based columns and things you never knew quite how big they'd be just a lot of the tricks we had just didn't work anymore i remember in 2012 when facebook made this announcement that they were going to move away from the mobile web and create a native app for Facebook. What do you think were the limitations back then that, that caused them to move to a native app? I, I can't remember what their sort of reasoning was. Oh, okay. I think a lot of people did that, you know, went to apps because, you know, because you could just take advantage of what was on the device. Okay. We're, you know, we're now getting to a point, you know, with things like progressive web apps where we can do a lot of this stuff, you know, with HTML APIs you're actually in the browser. And so it's starting to make more sense, I think, to do things in the browser because then it works in more places yes. than it would if it was if it was an app. Um, I don't remember what the exact reasons were that they, they cited back then. Okay. Mm, what did you mean, the pro progressive websites? Um, progressive web apps. So uh, essentially, you know, these, these sort of web apps that, um, I mean, that's a... Google term for, but I mean, it's now been used by everyone. So the idea being, you know, a, a web app that essentially can act like like a native app. Um, you know, got things like, you know, they'll work offline uh, is, is a sort of big thing. Um, they're using all these different APIs uh, so they can actually take advantage of things that are on the device. You know, we've, we've actually got that ability with native web technologies now, which you used to only have if you were, used, you were building a mobile app. Um, and so I think, you know, things are sort of swinging back the other way because... I mean, it makes a lot of commercial sense if you can just if you can build a website that also acts like an app. Uh, you've got the best of both worlds. Yes, definitely. It will speed up developing by a lot of time, I think. Mm -hmm. Last question: What would you like to see improve right now in CSS? 
I mean, really, it's it's just continuing to sort of push forward this ability to do, for me, to do layout well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we've got a really nice set of tools now with, with Flexbots and Grid, but I don't think we should stop there. I think we should look at what people are wanting to do and what they're not able to do yet and see what else we can start doing and what are the problems we can solve. And that's that's what interests me, you know, in, in the CSS Working Group is, is solving the real problems that web developers have doing layout. You know, how can we make that better for people? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what interests me, really, and that's, that's sort of why I, I do what I do, really. And a thing related to this that I saw somebody tweet was they flew to India or something and they noticed how their website took a long time to load and a lot of it had to do because they had a lot of CSS files, I think. So also being aware of who is looking at your website around the world, I think. Well, Rachel, thank you for coming on the show. I really liked talking to you today. Okay, thanks. It's great talking to you.